Hey everyone, this is Peter Levin, and you're listening to another episode of In Good Hands, a show about the companies and founders solving our climate crisis. Today, I interview Layla Natog, founder of W2R Solutions. W2R Solutions is a consultancy that performs life cycle assessments. In other words, they help figure out the carbon footprint of the products you sell. And in the episode, Layla and I will discuss how exactly a life cycle assessment works. Several really non-obvious concepts, for example, how municipalities can recover energy from poop, her time as a sustainability manager at Goodwill, where she was focused on finding markets for the thousands of pounds of unsold donated goods that aren't purchased in store and have to go somewhere. Her favorite story in finding a non-obvious market for some of these unsold goods. And finally, the moonshot for a company like W2R Solutions. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Layla Natog, founder of W2R Solutions. Layla, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Peter. So we have a really fun conversation in store today, but like I always say, let's start with the basics. What is W2R Solutions? It stands for Waste to Resources Solutions, and it's a bit of an outdated name, actually. So when I first started my business, I was focused in on helping businesses to recycle their waste so it wouldn't end up in a landfill. But when the pandemic hit, I changed the direction of my business a bit, but I kept the name. So now what I do is I help environmentally focused businesses to tell their story by measuring the impact of their product or service that is uh, new or is destined to save the planet in some way, shape, or form. That's super interesting. We have a bunch of really fun topics that are in store for today, but I'd actually like to double click on that last point there because we've talked to several companies that carbon footprint tracking and offsetting into their service or application, but we've never actually gotten the how-to for dummies around mm. how the assessment works. So could you just demystify that for the listeners, especially as someone who orchestrates this process? How does it work? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think there's some misconception out there that it's this very convoluted, complex process that nobody can figure out unless you're an engineer. And it's not about that. And that's actually part of my mission. I want to make it easy to understand and accessible to small, medium-sized businesses, to startups. Like You don't have to be a corporate to be eligible or to have the resources to do a life cycle assessment. My approach in conducting life cycle assessments is to look at the key differences between your innovative product and what the baseline product, what the alternative is that is out there. So for example, I'm working with a business who's making swimming shorts out of recycled plastic bottles. And that's pretty cool. So let's look at how this pair of shorts compares to the alternative pair of shorts that are made with 
virgin polyester uh, made from virgin plastic sources, basically. So the material is pretty much the same. It's plastic, but one is recycled. And so the manufacturing of it is slightly different. And there are some carbon savings because now you're using recycled feedstock to begin this process than, than before. And you can really do this with any products. So for example, if you're making your clothing locally, instead of importing it from overseas, probably China or Bangladesh, you can tell that story like, hey, we're not shipping our clothing thousands of miles over here to be sold and let's figure out what the impact would be. And at a very high level, you can figure out what is your monthly weight that you're bringing in and times that by what the carbon emission would be to whether it's shipping it or flying it in the air to get it over here. And that can just be as simple as that. You can tell that story very easily. But of course, it could be as detailed as you want it to be. So there's lots of different ways that it can look, but it can not only give you great information to make internal decisions, but it's a great tool to use to communicate with your investors if they want to know what is your impact, if you want to let your customers know per pair of shorts, you're saving this much carbon dioxide or whatever the case may be. It's just a nice way to tell the story in a quantifiable um, manner. That is so interesting. It's impact control disguised as a marketing exercise. I find <laughs> exactly. that so interesting. Out of curiosity, now you got my wheels turning, but what inspired you to get into this? What type of, of things were you working on before? Mm. Help us connect the dots. Yeah, I think what really inspired me was that there's a local company here in, in London, Ontario, and they make clothing locally. They put people to work who may face barriers to employment, whether it's language barriers, they're newcomers, they have some kind of issue getting back to the workforce to help them uh, get back into the workforce and develop these soft skills. And all their product is made with natural fibers like bamboo. And I'm just in love with this story. And I felt like there's a huge opportunity to tell this story in such a way that we can all jump on board because fast fashion is horrible. It's contributing to 25% of uh, global greenhouse gas emissions. It's just terrible from the social and environmental aspect. It's, it's horrible. And so I just love the story of slow fashion made here locally you can see who's making your clothing and not a lot of people can actually say that so i just fell in love with the idea of hey if environmentally focused businesses like the ones who are doing a lot of good stuff if they told their story in a more compelling way they've quantified their impact and told it in such a way that c consumers just fall in love with it imagine the world that we would have and we wouldn't be so tempted to to fall into the fast fashion trap and any other very destructive path that is available and i i understand the um, issue of pricing but I, I just thought if we could tell these stories better there's a huge chance to turn this ship around if you will i love that let's uh actually talk about pricing but from a, a different perspective if i'm uh, prospective customer, I'm seeking out your service. What could I anticipate when it comes to cost of services? If we were, mm -hmm. if, if anyone wanted to engage with you, do you have different packages? I'd love to hear just some greater context around what pricing and costs are so that aspiring founders, hey, it's actually, there's options for me, options for bigger enterprise. Anything that you're willing to share there, I would love to hear. Yeah, of course. So, 
I'm working on developing different size packages within this year. I want to roll out uh, the opportunity for startups to, once they measure their impact, to offset it as well and have that in a very transparent process where they can uh, see what they've offset and also share that with customers. So that's part of the package that's coming. But basically, it really depends on how detailed the customer wants the report to be. If they really just want to say, okay, we're shipping this product from from locally within the country versus overseas we just want to know what that impact is and that's just a very quick calculation won't take me more than two three hours and that's a small package so that's about 350 is my starting point and it can go up from there so i'm working with a tire recycler so they're taking recycled rubber and they're turning it into pallets so shipping pallets and that's really cool. And they want to compare what the carbon footprint of their product would be compared to the traditional wooden pallets or the plastic pallets. So that's a little bit more involved. So they want to look at the entire life cycle from raw material extraction to basically reusing these pallets at the end of our life. How can they be uh, refurbished and recycled and go back into their system again? And they want to compare these three scenarios, so the wooden pallet, the plastic, and the recycled rubber. So that's, of course, very, very much more intensive. And that runs over $1,000, but still, I find it to be affordable and accessible to these businesses because a traditional LCA can run for at least $3,000. So you definitely get a bit of a price break and it allows you to customize it to the level of detail that you're looking for. Wow. <laughs> that is super accessible, much much less than I would anticipate anticipated. I'm curious, after these assessments are made, is there some certified, I guess like standard or best practice that all life cycle assessment consultancies have to adhere to? Like effectively, are there different approaches to life cycle assessment or is there universal agreement? And as long as the consultancy adheres to it, then the report published is, I guess, quote unquote, verifiable or official in some way. Can you help clarify that part of the ecosystem? Of course. Yeah. So it's, do you remember in science class in high school, you have to outline your thesis and what you're trying to prove. It's the same idea. So you, you spell out what your goal is, what you're looking at. And the next step is looking at the boundary and the scope. So what is it that you're including as part of your study and what is to be excluded? So that narrows your, your focus down and it allows others that are reading your report to understand, oh, okay, this is not included or perhaps this part of it is. And the other part is that life cycle assessments are there's different types so you can do cradle to cradle and cradle means the beginning and cradle to cradle means that the same product they use as your feedstock becomes your feedstock again so it just goes in a very circular fashion which is what we all strive to be but it doesn't always happen there's cradle to grave and grave means it's the end of the life perhaps it's going to landfill or it's being recycled or composted or something is happening to it there's also cradle to gate. So gate means before it gets to the retailer, basically before it leaves the gates of the distribution center, before it gets to the retailer, we can look at that. So cradle to gate does not look at how the consumer is using the product. So a 
classical example is our clothing. So you can look at it from cradle to gate, but afterwards, when the consumer is using your clo the clothing, the laundering behaviors can really differ from one consumer to another. For example, I wash all my clothes in cold water, but somebody else might wash them in a very heavy cycle with hot water. So that can make a huge impact throughout the entire life cycle of the piece of clothing. But if you're not including the consumer part of it in there, and you're just looking at cradle to gate, it doesn't really matter. So it just really depends on what the consumer wants to look at. But if you outline that in the report and say, hey, we're only doing cradle to gate and these are what is included in the scope and this is what is excluded, then it allows that standardization, you know, exactly what's in it and what's not. Got it. Thank you for clarifying. I want to segue to a topic around which you and I got connected. And when we were first being introduced to each other, you said that you wrote an article for uh, an RNG engineer. And uh, this piece was around how municipalities can recover energy from poop. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe let's jump into there. Why did you write this article and how can cities recover energy from poop? It It is beyond fascinating. And I don't know if I'm just being a kid or not, but it is just beyond fascinating. And not just human poop, but also animal um, manure as well. Okay, just to back up a little bit. The reason I started this is because I have someone um, within my network who is an RNG engineer. He works with a lot of anaerobic digesters and allows them to be optimized. So anaerobic digestion is basically the process where uh, it's a biological process. And it's the process of microorganisms breaking down organic matter. So it can be food waste, it can be biosolids, it can be manure, whatever the organic matter is in an oxygen deficient environment. So there's no oxygen and that's why it's called anaerobic. And this process creates biogas. And then once you refine the biogas, it becomes renewable natural gas, which you may be hearing a lot about. And the beauty of renewable natural gas is that it's, an interchangeable replacement for conventional natural gas. So it can have the same applications as natural gas, but it's a lot cleaner now. So uh, this is someone I knew in my network and he does a lot of this work and he needed someone to write some articles for his website. And so I learned probably a little bit too much about renewable natural gas, but it is fascinating. So can you, and I'm not sure if, if you articulated this or you found this in your research, but now that we understand what renewable natural gas is, I assume, is there some other new process or infrastructure that needs to be developed to then reintegrate it into current natural gas use cases? Like maybe just to explore a little bit further how yeah. exactly we can use the re renewable natural gas. Yeah, of course. This is actually one of the advantages of renewable natural gas is that we can use existing infrastructure and that allows renewable natural gas to be a very cost-effective option to lower our carbon footprint. So really renewable natural gas is just methane and the environmental benefits is that what those that organic matter would have been releasing methane. And so what we're doing now is just capturing that methane and using it as a fuel. So you can really just go back to the same 
infrastructure that we have, it can also be liquefied or compressed to be used in uh, heavy duty trucks in the transportation industry. It can be used for heating, it can be used for electricity. So some municipalities, when they have at their wastewater facilities, they have anaerobic digestion processes, they generate electricity, which then goes back into the same facility to help power it and reduce their energy consumption, which is just fascinating. So it can be a nice circular economy story. And if you use renewable natural gas or sorry, anaerobic digestion at farms, it also allows the creation of digestate, which is this another byproduct. And it's basically like fertilizer, soil amendments, you could put it on your grounds and allows for just a lot of nutrients in there that allows for a better crop yield. That's super interesting. I'm curious, in instances where it's redeployed in transportation, after the vehicle uses the fuel, this is where I'm going to put on my amateur hat, does then that gas get emitted into the atmosphere? Is it like essentially are we recycling the the renewable gas once, but then after that single reuse, it can, then gets pumped into the atmosphere? Mm-hmm. Or yeah, can you clarify that piece of the puzzle? Yeah, of course. So renewable natural gas is still methane. So when you burn it, it still does emit carbon dioxide, but. The carbon dioxide that you're getting out is what you essentially put into the system. Let's go to the example of manure. So at farms, there's a lot of manure production. And it's something that we don't really think about what these farmers are doing with manure. So typically what's done is they are put into lagoons, they're given some time to settle and so forth. But that manure as it's sitting in a lagoon, it emits a lot of methane and that methane is about 25 times worse and more potent as a greenhouse gas compared to carbon dioxide. So what you're really doing is capturing that methane and turning it in to a fuel that you can then burn. So you're just bringing down the intensity of that process. You're making it cleaner because that methane would have just been released into the air and now you're actually using it as a fuel. So you're displacing fossil fuels and you're still burning it. So you're still getting carbon dioxide, but you're basically substituting it for fossil fuels and you're not allowing the methane to just get released into the air directly. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. What what I'd love to do as well in, as we talk about waste management is maybe just a, another deep dive into a fun part of your professional journey, which was when you were working at Wait, let me just wait. I have a massive snow plow truck outside my window. <laughs> One second. <laughs> no problem. So as I was saying, another topic I'd love to explore in your professional journey while we talk about waste management is your time at Goodwill. Goodwill, for anyone um, that's been to one of their stores, carries a ton of quote-unquote trashed inventory that then gets new lives and new lives and it's the kind of the quintessential waste management and repurposed story. So I, I'd love to hear <laughs> what was it like working at Goodwill and what was your prerogative while managing their waste there? 
It was truly one of the most fascinating jobs I've ever had. And I, I learned so much. I'm, I'm forever thankful for my time at Goodwill because it just opened up my eyes to, to so many things. And like just the journey of clothing, when you think about where it comes from, how it gets to us and what happens to it after we drop it off at charities like Goodwill is it's incredible. And I think I would, I was there for seven years. And even after seven years, I was still never took it for granted how much clothing we received. And so where I work was basically the warehouse. So it was post retail. So after everything had gone through the retail, gone on the sales floor, it didn't sell or it couldn't be sold for whatever reason, maybe it was just not the right season or or other reasons, it came to the warehouse. So basically the end of the line. And it was my job to find markets for these clothings or any other product that we received. So electronics and furniture, jewelry and books and toys and shoes and rollerblades, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So it was just every day. I was very astonished to see the sheer volume of products that came into our door. And it just reaffirmed this notion that we're such a consumer society. It was my job to find markets for these products. And a lot of the goods went over to Africa, about 90% of the goods that were received went to Africa, just because we don't have any markets here in North America to handle the volume that Goodwills everywhere produce. And that's a shame, really. I wish we knew what we were producing and where it was really ending up. Yeah, so I, I think if we knew that a lot of our clothes just don't really stay here in North America where we wear them and get rid of them, that might change our habits a little bit. But it was just a fascinating market to be in. Mm -hmm. That's super interesting. I, I remember seeing an article actually about how specifically in electronics, this was actually a growing problem in a number mm -hmm. of African countries. They're getting virtually unredeemable electronic goods and they just end up in the ground they just end up lingering around but i do know there's got to be there's every every there's grass is greener maybe not so green so i'm sure there's many stories that that we can be proud of but certainly there's a darker side to that kind of export life cycle if you will oh absolutely um, yeah and that was one of the touchy subjects. Whenever people came on tours, they were saying, you shouldn't send your clothes to Africa. They don't actually want it. And in part, it's true. And in part, it is not. So yes, sending clothes overseas to any continent or country, it prohibits them from creating their own local economy around clothing or manufacturing, any of that. So it, it prohibits them because there's so much imported goods coming in. How can they really compete with cost-effective used goods that are tend to be pretty good quality? So it doesn't allow for their local economy to flourish in terms of textiles. But at the same time, there are large amounts of outdoor markets and a lot of resellers who are just that's their whole livelihood their whole livelihood depends on imported goods and, and selling them and there's all these middle people involved in the supply chain of getting the goods from north america over to these these used good markets so if we take that away that's going to leave those people in this industry hanging so it's a it's a touchy subject and yes Africa is not going to use our ski pants and jackets. Of course, they don't have that kind of weather like we do here. 
but they still use our shorts and t-shirts and there's a large demand for it because their economy is booming and they have lots of young people who need clothing such as this. So it's, it's a touchy subject. And the alternative is what do we do with it? There's nothing that we can do with it here because there's really no fiber to fiber recycling available to the scale that we need available right now. Yeah, it, it's tough. <laughs> no, thank you for clarifying and exploring all of the above. This is all new information to me, and I'm sure for most of our listeners. While we're still on this topic, I'd love to talk about a story maybe that you're proud of. Like During your time at Goodwill and you're trying to find markets for unused goods, is there a, a story that you remember or can reflect on that was surprising to you, that was like a massive win? <laughs> I, I'd love to hear if you have you know any that, that you cherish to this day. There was actually. I remember... There was a lady that I did my master's with. She was a classmate of mine. Her name was Dolores. And she had a small charity. I believe she was from El Salvador and her husband was from Mexico. And their charity was focused on taking used laptops or uh, laptop or computers and taking them to uh, her home country and donating it to the schools there who just needed these products to further advance their learning. And in addition to computers and other electronics, they would also take hospital beds. They would take some used goods, some clothing. Anyways, I remember she approached me about getting some rollerblades. No, actually, I think I approached her about rollerblades because I didn't know what else to do with rollerblades. I'm like, I have all this rollerblades. Nobody wants it. Are you interested in taking it? She's like, I think so. And she was not really sure if she should or shouldn't. So she did. I think she took about three boxes of it. And these are gigantic boxes, about 400 pounds each or so. So she took these boxes. She puts them in these containers. She gets all these volunteers to help them. She does this out of her garage. Like Just very super grassroots and just a lovely story. Anyways, about three months later, once the product gets to El Salvador and once she goes down there to visit, she sees these kids just having a ball with these rollerblades. Like they're just... So she took pictures and she sent them to me. And I think I was on a high for about a week because I just remembered the smile on the kids' faces. They're having so much fun. Oh, my gosh. It was just such a lovely story to know that just because we don't want these rollerblades at this point in time and no one's buying them, somebody else can use them and can, they can actually really benefit from these. So that was just a wonderful story that I love. And I'll always cherish that. <sighs> That's amazing. It's funny. I can just hear it in your voice as well. You are you are the perfect person be spearheading the work you're doing now. You're right. On its surface, it is impact control, but the deeper underlying story is so much more important because as from the profit-motivated capitalist perspective, people that can tell the most compelling or entertaining stories end up doing really important things for their brand. And even conversely, just like the story that you just told now, 99.99% of the world has no idea something like that ever happened. But those are real human lives that were impacted. And we also repurposed goods that would have ended up in landfill. So just a massive win all around. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, thank you. I love that story. I still think of it. Layla, 
Before we head to my favorite part of every interview, which is the idea graveyard, I just want to give you one more opportunity to explore the moonshot for a company like W2R. Over the next three to five years, all the stars align. What do you hope to accomplish in the work that you're doing now? (laughs) I have some lofty goals and I don't know how we're going to get there. But I do. I, I foresee that one day we'll be in a place where all products will be labeled with carbon footprint, just the way that food products are labeled with calories today. I really believe that carbon is a new calorie. So if you're interested in the industry, this is the time to get involved. And I don't know how I'm going to get to that point. I don't know how W2R is going to play a part in this process, but I hope to be connected with it somehow. I'm actually working with another group who's very much in stealth mode and they're working to automate uh, the process of getting this information from suppliers and automating it so it's more accessible and easy to to gather and understand as well. Yeah, so that's my long-term goal. One day I'll be a part of the process that allows for carbon footprint to be on all products. And I think just creating awareness goes a long way. And I think that's really the first step in creating a sustainable future is having that awareness and having conversations. And these are the conversations we should be having instead of, hey, what are you watching on Netflix? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Hell yeah, Layla. That's awesome. And I I can't wait to watch you get there. So the last question of every interview, I, I warned you in advance. So we'll get right to it. What is one idea that you would love to work on if you had the time to do, but for now, is just rotting away in your idea graveyard? So many. One of the ones that I'm really excited about, because it's just super cool, is having just-in-time merchandise. So in this day of no live events or conferences, the swag industry is hurting. And really, do we need like swag that's just super cheap? So anyways, I thought that when we have uh, live events again, or for virtual events, uh, a way to give out swag would be, hey, here's a link that you go to. And basically on this link, you could choose the kind of product that you want. So you want a mug and a tote bag, for example. So you get to pick out what you want and the kind of branding that goes on it. So it would be the same logo, but perhaps different colors, different designs or whatever uh, that you're looking to have. And basically it's made just in time. So a local artist is making it and is shipping it directly to your house uh, or wherever you are. And I I just love that idea. So instead of having a warehouse filled with thousands of mugs that perhaps maybe a portion of them is going to get used, we don't have that. And it's just, we make for you what you want and nothing else goes to waste. That is so interesting. You just, I'm just going to piggyback on top. This is one of the core bullish cases for the future of digital goods and collectibles it, the it's unclear whether or not this market um, will exist in any meaningful fashion in the future. But w- why do why does swag have to be physical? Why, why couldn't it be only digital and mm. and rare and limited supply? Ha- have you thought at all about digital swag and the promise mm. of digital goods as the future of merchandise? Yeah, that's an interesting concept. And I think it's one that's going to be embraced more and more. 
because I think we're just waking up to the idea of how many branded mugs do we really need? I have one favorite mug and that's the one I use. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think digital is really going to be the, the future of it. And I find that it's more meaningful than having physical items. So for example, I did a workshop yesterday actually. And so their way of thanking me was giving me a digital coupon, if you will, to spend on a charity of my choice. And I really love that idea. And I actually spent it on the Humane Society where I got my dog because I love my dog and I love the work that Humane Society does. So it was just a nice, good feeling. And I really didn't want anything physical. So I think it's definitely going to be the future. Yeah. And that's a perfect example. That's a perfect example. (laughs) And then it could be extended to, to music, to other live events. There's just a lot to explore there. So anyways, Leila, uh, I just want to say so much congrats to to everything you've been able to accomplish as an entrepreneur, your work at one of the great organizations of the world at Goodwill. I'd love to roll the red carpet. Are there any final call to actions, hiring needs, anything that you want to leave with our listeners? The floor is yours. I would just say... Keep having the conversations, keep learning about anything that really interests you within sustainability, within fighting climate change. Just follow what interests you and start talking about it with your friends and neighbors or whoever is willing to listen to you and follow that nudge. And if you're interested in following me and what I'm up to, you can find me on LinkedIn or you can check out my website. And I look forward to connecting with you all. Leila, hold on one second. There's a snowplow. Multiple snowplows. <laughs> I can't hear anything. Oh, really? Okay. Anyways, Layla, you were the best. Thank you for coming on the show. I cannot wait for round two sooner than later. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you for having me. Hey there. You made it to the outro. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you're new here, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, thank you so much. We're actively casting for new guests on our show. So if you have a rock star founder or company in mind that's working on something cool, message me on Instagram at Peter A. Levin or email us, hello at ingothands.us. Thank you so much again and look forward to bringing you another new episode next Tuesday.